Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and with me on this week's episode, an old favorite of this podcast, MVD. MVD, it's a pleasure to have you on as always. Hang on a second. You're calling me an old favorite? Hey, I thought we were being nice to each other here. <laughs> I'm not that old, mate. Keep you know on. what I mean. You know what I mean. How are you? It's been a while, Casper. How are you, mate? Well, thank you. Well, thank you. How about yourself? It's good to have you on, mate. It's good to be back and uh, I suppose talking all things AFL, AFLW and the like, mate. Mm. Uh, exciting times ahead for some clubs and uh, I know I've got a friend who's a Secure secure supporter who's up and about and uh, I did have Carlton friends that were up and about until last weekend, but we'll go with that. Uh, and oh my gosh, like what else can what else can we see happening this year? It's uh it's been a big week in football. I mean, even even the CEO stepping down. So go figure. Been a monumental week of football in both AFLW and AFL circles. Let's discuss the AFLW first. First and foremost, we have the grand final done and dusted. I was pretty happy. I tipped the Crows by about 14 points last week and then ended up winning by 13. I'm pretty happy with that tip. Um, Adelaide won 4-5-29-2-4-16 Melbourne and I think it came down pretty much to Adelaide's defence. I didn't watch the full game because I was at work but from what I saw they were just marking everything in sight. Their pressure inside defensive 50 was awesome. Melbourne had a, a landslide amount of inside 50s in their favour and also won the clearances quite comfortably and yet Adelaide kept them to just two goals. It was an awesome defensive performance. And I think one Crows player in the midfield should be mentioned, especially Anne Hatchard, player of the match. Incredible performance, 26 touches, nine marks, six tackles, 568 metres gained. She was already the best player in the competition for total metres gained. On average, she was 30, uh, sorry, 344.9 metres per game in 2022, amongst the best in the competition. She blitzed that, 568 in total. Leading disposal win on the ground. Highest amount of marks taken. Equal, uh, equal second highest amount of tackles on the ground. Incredible, incredible, incredible performance. Super consistent this year. One of the best players, one of the leading disposal, um, disposal winners in the comp. Uh, third, uh, top three for metres gained, as mentioned before, top four for contested possessions, uh, amongst the top 20 or so for clearances, even uh, best player in the comp for total marks taken and for total intercept possessions. Just an unbelievable player. Ebony Marinoff as well, great game, 21 touches. For Melbourne, Paxman played well. David Pierce was good. Uh, Sinead Goldrick was really good as well. But problem was for Melbourne, they started too slowly didn't get on the scoreboard until the second quarter. When you're playing interstate, especially in front of a ravenous Adelaide Crows home fan, uh, home crowd, you've got to take the you've got to take the crowd out of it by scoring early. And they didn't do that. And by that point, the game was already away from them. They were never going to kick a high enough score after kicking zero in that first quarter. Um, but yeah, absolutely amazing, amazing performance. How did you see it? Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty ruthless performance. Uh, unfortunately, the Melbourne side probably got overawed by the occasion. Um, their first grand final performance or grand final that they got into, and unfortunately, probably yeah, overawed in in that first quarter. So uh, disappointing. And if that's the way Daisy Pierce goes out, I don't. Uh, 
I don't think it will be. I get the feeling she wants to have another crack at it um, because uh, she's a legend and, and been a true um, pioneer of, uh, of this competition. And uh, I think she deserves to go out a bit on a bit better note than what, uh, on what they did there. So um, full kudos to Adelaide. Uh, they're calling it a dynasty now. So three, three premierships uh, since the inception. So congratulations to Adelaide and good work there. So, Looking forward, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, did I hear right that the next one's in August? Well, let's get on to that for just, but before I mention this, you've got to mention Daisy Pierce, and you do feel sorry for her, but you've got to feel sorry for Taylor Harris as well. Third time that she's been in a grand final, third time she's played against the Adelaide Crows, and the third time she's lost against the Adelaide Crows in a grand final. Like what that you, is uh, what can you, I mean, what can you say? Unfortunately, like she didn't impact the scoreboard and that's what she gets paid to do, isn't it? Well, that's very true. That's very true. She had a very quiet game by her standards. But yet again, it wasn't like it wasn't like her um Melbourne midfielders gave her any real chance, especially in their last quarter. No. Um as for next season, let's touch upon it. Now there are rumors, I don't know if it's confirmed yet, about the season starting in August which means that I think the grand finalists would have maybe a month off, a month or two off, and then get started in preseason in about May-ish, June. And I'm not 100% certain that it's going to be the best for the AFLW players. MVG, I want to ask your opinion. When should the season start? Because surely they can't have it start in January again. Oh, look, I agree. You don't start a season in January. You don't start a winter competition season in January. You don't even start it in March. Like, that's a point in a little someone else that I don't need to talk about here. But you don't... Uh, let's be let's be honest. Start it with the men. Why can we not have, especially with the expansion that's coming in, why can't we have a curtain raiser as the AFLW and broadcast across all mediums, no problem whatsoever, then have the AFL men broadcast across all mediums like they generally do why can't we be to go back to the old days when you had curtain raises at the football it's not like the grounds are going to get chopped up the grounds are in the best nick they've ever been in you've got 18 teams coming into the competition playing them as curtain raises and that way you get a curtain ra- you get a grand final day that's absolutely smacked like just completely crazy and if they are going to a twilight afl men's grand final which i see today in regards to things i wish don't get me started on that but if they are going to it, you've got all afternoon, you've got a women's game you can play, have a break, have some pre-game entertainment, then put the men's on. How awesome would that be? Play them as, cur- play them as curtain raises to the men's. That's and when they should be doing the AFL women's. Yeah, no, you have you have a fair point, mate. They could play the um they play the uh Nagley grand final, I think, don't they? On grand final? No, grand not, anymore. not anymore. Not anymore. I think they play that the fr- uh, the night before, right? Well, or, I reckon. Or they or they played it. No, they play it the Friday night. Then I think they play the VFL Grand Final on the Saturday or the Sunday, right? Of the week of the week before. I right. think that's how it works now. Well, I reckon bring back the NAB Grand Final. Have that in maybe 10, 10 o'clock or so in the morning, and have the AFLW Grand Final from about twelve thirty to one o'clock if. They are going to go with the Twilight AFL Grand Final, and then have the men start at about four thirty or so. Five o'clock. If they're if they're that desperate to follow the NRL, follow the NRL. 
have it as uh, the NRL have got three or four games that played on the at, on that one day. They play like a New South Wales Cup, a Queensland Cup, and then the grand final, the NRL grand final. Just like if they're that desperate to play a game at night, a grand final at night. I don't agree with that. First and foremost, we're not the NFL. We don't need it. We play most of our matches during the daytime. So why we want to play a grand final at night, I don't know. But if that's the way they're going to go, I'll suck it up. But if you're going to do it, at least put games on before it so that it actually makes it worthwhile going to the G and getting there early. No, fair point. Fair point. If you're going to you do, don't it, have to I'll to, do it properly. You won't have to listen to Meatloaf. <laughs> uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace, Meatloaf. Rest in peace. Um, but no, very true. Now, question. Um, I want to ask about AFLW expansion for clubs yet to come into the competition. They will be in the competition come the start of next season, whenever that start is. You've got the Power, the Bombers, the Swans and the Hawks um, really starting to see some 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 uh, key players from other teams starting to get poached from other clubs, um, get a couple of star Carlton players, um, including Matty Pasparakis now at Essendon, as well as Too Good from the Western Bulldogs. And you've started seeing a few, yep. and few Giants players going over to the Sydney Swans as well. Three out of the four clubs have their head coaches. And I want to ask you, I know Craig Starchevich, the legend who did a shoey at the uh, AFLW Best of Paris count, uh, is quite upset about the expansion coming in and clubs like Brisbane being impacted. I want to ask you, how badly do you think star clubs like Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne are going to be impacted by expansion? Uh, I think they will. Um, I'm going to refer you to a tweet by AAP News's Oliver Caffrey, um, who put something out once. Um, I think Riley Beveridge put something out about how Carlton are losing both Matty Prisparkis and Georgia G um, heading to, to Essendon. And Oliver retweet, uh, commented and said, clubs who had no interest in joining AFLW initially now getting rewarded for jumping on the bandwagon at the expensive foundation ex- yeah, expensive foundation teams. It doesn't sit right. And to be perfectly honest, I'm kind of in agreement with him. Mm. Like it, uh, clubs, and I don't know whether all four of these clubs are same that sort of case. Whether they didn't want to join at the start, but it does feel like the expansion teams are going to be dominating early on, purely and simply because they've got all the good players that have played playing since what? What? Are, how many seasons in now are we? Five. Six, I think. Five or six. Or apologies. Yell at you. Yell at your audio speakers for tell us how many that is because I feel bad not knowing. But I do feel like they've had all this time to watch and see the players that are how good they're getting and develop the skills and all that. And now they're just like, oh, okay, we'll just take this one, we'll take this one, we'll take this one, we'll take that one, make a super team. And everyone's going to have to start from scratch a little bit again for those other sides. So it's, I, I think the foundation clubs are going to hurt especially if someone in the likes of Daisy uh, yeah Daisy Pierce does retire like Melbourne will struggle like that's that's where that's at as well like um, so it, it's it's incumbent yes they're gonna have to take one or two I completely understand you're gonna have to take one or two to be successful 
but you need to take players that will give will help build the game and they will build the game and and teach the youngsters coming through what's happening mm-hmm. and how and how to play it properly I, I I still think that we're we're not a hundred percent like the girls are getting fantastic at it it's been it's great to see and it's it's really good but I I think the issue is at the moment the there's still too many injuries and, I, and we need to find ways of limiting the injuries to the good players so that we can keep the good players out of the park to teach the youngsters coming through. I wonder if part of the injuries, AFLW, they play with 21 players, um, 16 of them on the ground at any one time, two less than in the AFL men's. And I have never understood why they don't have 18 players on the ground at any one stage. I believe... I believe that it would have been because um, they didn't have as many. Right. The, the pool of players may not have been there at the start and whether that's something they need to change now and have a look into it, I, I reckon they would be looking into it, especially considering that there's full 18 teams now. I, I definitely think they'll be looking into it. So um, hopefully mm-hmm. we can start to see an 18, 18 aside competition happening. At least in at least in uh, AFLW, because let's be honest, in country footy, it's not happening that much. Huh. Well, I reckon I reckon it absolutely should happen, um, and I and I, I agree with you. I I hope it does because it it just seems logical to me that if you want to limit the amount of injuries, add more players onto the field. You know, I'm sure that if the men's competition were playing with 16 um, players on the field at a time, more players would be getting injured. Um, than what we see in the AFL men at the moment. I want to ask you, they currently have six teams playing. Oh, before before we get on to the finals um, structure for the AFLW, I, I understand what you're saying about how unfair it is that these clubs who weren't there, excuse me, for one reason or another at the beginning and now seem to be cashing in on the hard work of the other clubs who were there at the beginning, um, but with that being said, would you rather these teams come in and get a bunch of youngsters who haven't played AFLW football and will probably be, just because they haven't played AFLW football before, absolutely terrible for a few years? You've I, seen how Geelong did, has yeah, I, struggled. I, yeah, I did say, I, I did say, I prefaced it and I said, look, I understand they're going to have to pick one or two. I, I think you need a limited and and not take. You don't even need to be perfectly honest. They don't even need to be the the consistent twenty one. They is doing the consistent twenty one. You could pick someone who's what player number thirty five or something on the list. They've been in the system for year for the last couple of years. You can grab them and go right. We're going to build our team around you because you've been there. You might not have. You might not have been on the field during a game, but you've been there. You know how it all works. If you can take what? All right. Something, and I haven't really thought about this, so this will probably come out on the fly. But if you take like an A grader, a B grader, and C grader sort of uh, players, um, doesn't matter if they're forward, middle, back, or or whatever, but if you go, if you take three of those, how many sides have we got? Four uh, that are coming in. If every side takes an A grader, a B grader, and a C grader, that's 12 players that are gone. 
from all the different uh, from all the different clubs. Can you pick one from each club? Possibly. Mm. I I I don't know. Like I'm I'm just I'm trying to spitball ideas and trying to find ways of getting better at it. Uh, trying to find a way that doesn't impact those clubs that have had, worked so hard to get the players up. Maybe maybe the restriction shouldn't be on the number of established players that new clubs get, but maybe the amount of established players that leave from existing clubs. Well, that's probably what I'm trying to say. Yeah, fair. Yeah, so uh, it's something that, yeah, it's also like the free agency. I don't get that no, mm. in the men's side of things. I don't really agree with that, to be perfectly honest, because people play three years at one club and go, you know what, I want to go somewhere else just because. And it's like, really? Like, really? Mm. Like, really? You're not good enough. <laughs> If you're not good enough at one club, then yeah. Anyway, that's that's a different, <laughs> that's a different argument for a different day. <laughs> now, um, AFLW finals, they have six teams. It's been the same for the last three years or so. Four clubs coming in. I want to ask you: surely they bring in a top eight? If they go the same, if what they if they take my suggestion, Nicole Livingston, do it. <laughs> if they take my suggestion of playing curtain raises to the men's. Mm-hmm. and playing the same sides as in the men's. So if it's Collingwood and Essendon on Anzac Day uh, in the men's, then it's Collingwood and Essendon on Anzac Day for the women's. Mm-hmm. Okay? If they do that, if they do that, then they need to play the final setup exactly the same. It needs to be exactly the same. Top eight, two elimination finals, two qualifying finals, go from there. It And that will not be, it might not necessarily be um, the same in both sides, but you play them at this one venue. You play the elimination final, elimination final one for the men at the MCG, elimination final one for the women at the MCG. It's if if elimination final one is hosted by a Melbourne-based club. Yep. Because what if it's I don't know Fremantle the. Yeah, fair call. Cool. Okay, yeah. You, you know where I'm going. I get, I, I get, I get, I get, I get, uh, I get you, you're nitpicking here, Cassie. You're pulling the little hairs and I don't I have many of them left. You know that. <laughs> like, literally, so play, if it's Melbourne versus Adelaide, mm-hmm. uh, qualifying final one, playing, mm-hmm. uh, it's, no, let's think of something more realistic at the moment. <laughs> In the, in the AFL, in the AFL men's. If it's, let's go, let's go, if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's uh, okay, if it's Melbourne, if it's Melbourne, Brisbane, yeah. In the qualifying in the qualifying final, week one of the AFL men's, yeah. that's at the G. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. If it's um if the qualifying one for for um the women's is Port Adelaide Hawthorne, you're not gonna play that at the G. No. You play that at Adelaide Oval. Or you if you have to the thing is if the if the men's side isn't in and that's where it gets a little bit confusing and you're playing it at a neutral venue that you might have to look at and try and chop and change a little bit but I, I still look at it and go at this point in time or either you play the men's at the neutral venue or you play the women's at the neutral venue I I think I think most AFL and AFLW fans would be in agreement with everything that you've said apart from playing at the neutral venue because I think they've been doing that for the last two years. Um, I get it. hundred percent get it. I, I just, yeah, I, I think you need to play an AFL women's game, an AFL men's game on the same day. 
Yeah. That's what and that's and they need to go top eight for both. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I do want to ask you, they've they've played ten rounds of AFLW um football during the home and away season this year. Do you think that I, I assume they would have to build up to playing 20, 22 games across twenty three rounds in order to match with the men's, surely. Why? Because you're going from ten rounds to 22 10 games to 22 games like how many games if if this next season starts in in, if this next season starts in august yeah how many games will they have played this year uh approximately don't give too much don't give too much dead air we don't have a backing track that will come in and get out here it'll be it'll be 20 20 to 25 off the top of my head okay and that's all like that's what i'm sitting there 20 to 25 in a year how many games do the men play 22 22 games for the season over 23 weeks plus a couple of practice matches there's 24 games that's before finals you so they point. they could comfortably they could comfortably do it. You have a point. You have a point. My only my only thing is is that the men they've been playing professional football for years. Well, we haven't been- got we haven't got to that argument yet about professionalism and and all that. But pay them what they're worth. They're going to be professional athletes. The only sport in Australia that pays their women on parity, and I stand to be corrected on this, is, is the cricketers. Right. The men's and women's cricket team are both professional. I don't even know if the if the hockey teams are professional, like fu- fully professional. Right. So if they're wanting to go that way with the women, hundred percent, pay them, make them professional athletes. It will be make professional way, athletes. It will be one way to get rid of the um, get rid of the injuries. Professional athletes more time dedicated to training. Correct. Bodies, right? Yep, hundred percent, and. If, if they're going to take it as a serious competition, which they want to and which everyone wants them to be, 100%, whack, them, whack, whack the money with them. Well, who cares? Where, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to come somewhere and it's not going to take any money away from the men. To be perfectly honest, I didn't care. I wouldn't care if it took a quarter of what the men get paid anyway. Some of them get paid far too much for what they're worth. And they only get paid that much because... They shop themselves around and, and go with free agency. Like, sorry, but like, <clears throat> tell me I'm wrong. Why? Okay, I'm getting too far into this. Why, like, uh, like, seriously, like, why is someone who plays a sport, sli- they play it slightly different to what the men play it, but why are they worth anything less to what the men are? It's a good question. I'm, I might win some fans on this one, but seriously. Yeah. Look at no. I might lose some fans at the same point. The, it, like I said, the men don't deserve half of what they're getting at times, and the the women's probably more skilled anyway. That's move on point. before I move on before I blow a gasket. <laughs> it's a good point. Now, um, speaking of the men's, let's get on to AFL men's round four. It was a round that threw up a lot of surprising results. It was a nightmare for tipping. I got four. Correct. I know my dad got five correct. I know someone in our tip. I got four. Who got three? There you go. You got four. 
it was an absolute nightmare. But there were, as with every round, lots of highlights, lots of lowlights. MVD, what were your top two highlights of the weekend? My top two highlights of the weekend, one was at Adelaide Oval on Saturday afternoon. 16,000 people there. It was fantastic. Mm. Sorry, that's a bit of tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I mean, I made it in the... I, I, I did. I loved watching it, and I enjoyed the fact that it was on a Saturday afternoon. Fantastic for the AFL women to be playing at that time. Uh, it was it was fantastic to see. It didn't feel like it was 16,000. It felt like there was more there. Um, yeah. It was just amazing. So congratulations to all at the AFL, um, AFL women's for getting that up. That was uh, amazing. The other thing, I think, out of the weekend was... Uh, to be perfectly honest, I can't even think of a second highlight, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go with um, something a bit out out there. West Coast, North Melbourne, and who was the other one? Adelaide. Mm. I'm, going to go, I'm going to go with those three. The mm. three of them. Yes, two of them won. No, one of them won. Mm. But to see the bounce back of North Melbourne and to and to see them push Sydney all the way, West Coast after the horrible season start to the season they've had, finally get a win on the board. Mm-hmm. And Adelaide, again, pushing um, Essendon, and I mean, Essendon just sneaking over the line. Congratulations, by the way, Josh Trishelli, my mate, uh, getting the the uh, Rising Star nomination. Should have got it two weeks ago. Um, but at least he's been nominated at this point in time. But in all honesty, I, I think to see those guys bounce back from, those three sides bounce back after uh and although they didn't get wins, but to to show the competitive side of things, and West Coast got the win, but to show the competitive side of things um, and the competitive spirit, great job, well done, fantastic. Casper, what were your two highlights? You know what? I'm going to mention one that was almost exactly the same as your last one. Adelaide and North Melbourne, That's my they are my first highlight. Absolutely incredible effort. Um, if it's even possible to have a good loss, those two performances, they were the best losses in Adelaide and North Melbourne's history. <laughs> As you mentioned, the bounce back was unbelievable. I remember Matthew Lloyd it, during the week saying that he wouldn't be surprised if if Sydney walled North Melbourne by another 100 points or so. And I didn't feel confident as, that, um, as a Swan supporter that that was going to happen because um, Sydney rarely, rarely smashed teams. But the fact that I had checked the scores at Midway through the second quarter, my eyes nearly popped out of my head when North Melbourne were leading 37 to 20. It was an unbelievable effort from the Kangaroos. And if it wasn't for some uh, cool, calm heads at the Swans, uh, McInerney and Heaney, especially that last goal from Heaney, unbelievable effort, 60 metres out, almost on the boundary line, beautiful, nobody in the goal square, just unbelievable effort from Isaac Heaney to seal that game. But if it wasn't for that, it would have been the upset of the century and arguably the biggest turnaround any club has probably like ever had. Unbelievable effort from North Melbourne and I wouldn't be surprised if they nabbed their second win of the year soon. And Adelaide, phenomenal effort for a team that really struggled with scoring over the last couple of years. Their forward line looks really dangerous. Really dangerous. So your mate Richelli Walker now back in as well. They're going to be a handful for a lot of um for a lot of uh, defenses this season. You know, ever since halftime of the Fremantle game back in round one, Adelaide's been challenging to play against. Mm. Now onto the top two lowlights. Whilst one South Australian team had a very impressive weekend, same cannot be said for the other South Australian team. 
Port Adelaide has been playing in the AFL competition for 25 years now. That is a long time. The last time that, uh, sorry, the, the, their first season, 1997, back then, Bill Clinton was president of the United States. Back then, I think Spice Girls was quite possibly the biggest band in the world, or maybe In Sync or Backstreet Boys, one of those boy band or girl band groups. And YouTube was about seven years away from being a thing. Same with Facebook. It was, and everyone was born. Were you born in 97? No, I was born in 2000. Oh, well, there you go. You weren't even alive then. I wasn't even, I wasn't even a, a, a twinkle in my mother's eye. As my mom said. I, I just moved from I just moved from Melbourne. There you Sheffield. go. There you go. So that was that's how you know the world was on the world was very different back then. Port Adelaide, lots of highs, lots of lows, and this was arguably one of their lowest lows. Halftime siren sounds. Marshall has the ball fifty meters out or so. He's coming in. His team hasn't kicked a goal yet. They are trying to avoid their first goalless half in their AFL history, and as soon as he starts his approach, a Port Adelaide player slings his demon opponent to the ground in the goal square and the free kick gets reversed. Now, there are going to be some Port Adelaide supporters who say, oh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we only lost by 32 points. and we, we kept Melbourne to 10 goals. Isn't that worth something? Yeah, you kept Melbourne to 10 goals. You only scored like four goals yourself. They had two less scoring shots than them. Only two. That's the crazy thing, right? They keep losing by these huge margins. They only had like four less scoring shots than Hawthorne back in round two, and yet they lost by 64 points. So I genuinely don't know what's happening at Port Adelaide. The other low light for me is... Before you go on from that, before we go on from that, I saw a cheeky little jibe at, um, at Port Adelaide. Uh, I, I believe it was from our friends at Sportsbet, and right. they put up a nice, uh, put up the uh, the Port Adelaide jumper, the prison bar jumper. Mm-hmm. But instead of the prison bars that were there, it actually had wooden spoons. And they said, <laughs> maybe you might, maybe you might get this one across Port Adelaide. <laughs> nice, definitely more at this season. Sorry, go on. No, 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 all good. They, and it's only the second time in their history that they've been zero and four. Not even in the dark days of the Primus years were they zero and four to start the season. Now, Didn't on Primus to, take on over halfway through. Mm-hmm. On to Carlton. Now, uh, Carlton, before the Gold Coast game, the lid was off, right? There were Facebook posts saying, like, Carlton versus TBA. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's Grand coming final home. tickets needed. Grand final tickets needed. We'll sell my left kidney for him. And then the Suns went and did what the Suns did. And what was really disappointing was that, in a way, it was a throwback to the David Teague years where they lost games that they should have won comfortably, which happened several times in 2021 especially. And yet, if you look at the the the, the stats, Carlton actually won most of them in a landslide. They won the disposals by 36. They uh, they had plus 32 tackles overall. They had plus 22 marks. They had far higher disposal efficiency and far higher disposal efficiency inside 50. If I looked at just the stats and you would have asked me to guess the results of the game, I would have said Carlton would have won. However, I think two key stats in particular cost the Blues in the end. Inside 50, Carlton only had two tackles for the entire game, which meant that Suns were able to exit their defensive 50 far too easily, not nearly enough pressure. 
Speaking of inside 50s, Carlton lost that by 16. Now, that can probably get boiled down to Pitnet and Cripper injured, two of their key players in that midfield. But nevertheless, it was absolutely shocking. And it could have been a lot worse. Gold Coast had five scoring shots in that last term, only kicked one goal. That could have been a lot worse. How about you, NBD? What were your top two lowlights? Well, you've narrowed it down for me because I you took two of mine, which is fine <laughs> because I'm happy to jump on to those ones. Can I also throw in a Hawthorne display that was insipid? Go for it. That was just I I'm grateful that I was commentating hockey on the weekend because I didn't have to put my head I was actually gonna go and watch this game. Yeah. And then no, I much rather I was more interested in what staying at the uh, at the Melbourne Sports Centre in Parkville and, and watching a a game of hockey that was probably better, even though it was a 5-0 win in the end to uh, Camberwell over Melbourne Uni. But that's beside the boy. Um, St Kilda by 69 points over Hawthorne. Now, did I get caught up in the hype of what Hawthorne had done in the first first three rounds? Quite possibly. We only lost by a point, I think it was, the week before. Hmm. What is going on? And I turned it on at one point. I'm like, oh, it must have been really early on because I looked at it. I've gone, oh, geez, Hawthorne's got out to an absolute ripper. Got a got a start that was uh, two goals or something, 12 points to nil. We were doing really well. And then I, t- I flicked back over. I'm like, why am I bothering putting this on? I'm going to go and watch the F1s. It was insipid. I think that is probably the uh, the best one I could go with. The has this nice little uh, stat for you. St Kilda scored 105 of their 142 points from turnovers compared to Hawthorne's 45. And 73 points were scored from St Kilda's four and a half. Like, how's that for a stat? Like, uh, that just is gobsmacking. And I know Sam Mitchell said that it's a step back. But my goodness, it, it's a step back. To be perfectly honest, if Mitch Lewis had a kick straight, might have been some, something slightly different. Three goals, five. Like, he, what is he? He's currently sitting equal third on the uh, on the goal kicking on the Coleman Medal. Like, it's great he's getting the opportunities, uh, and I'm grateful for what they're doing at the moment. But that has just been you've gone two steps forward, you've taken it, and you've just gone three or four, five steps back. Yep. It, it's it was really disappointing to see. Um, and really disappointing to see the result. And I thought we were doing better than that, to be perfectly honest. And maybe, as I said, maybe I was caught up in the hype. I don't know. But uh, I want to see a better performance out of them this week. That's for sure. Yeah, no, fair enough. That was definitely one of the more surprising results of the weekend. Now on to um, the player that surprised us the most. Now, for me, leaving, leaving aside what happened at the end of last year, Leaving aside the question about whether or not his punishment for what he said was enough, was too harsh, leaving leaving that all aside. Taylor Walker's first game of competitive football outside of match training drills in what, since round 20 last year, I think. And he kicked four goals from 18 disposals, six marks, threw in a tackle, and get this, for a big forward, he even had a clearance. That's how dominant he was. He even had a clearance. Forwards aren't supposed to get clearances when they're big and tall and lumbering. Yeah, he did. Unbelievable performance. 
it reminded me of how well he started 2021 when he kicked like six goals against the Cats and he was had, I think, 18 goals within the first three rounds. Taylor Walker, rightly or wrongly, is back and he is back in form. What about you, NBD? I'm going to go slightly different for you, uh, from you uh, this week. I'm looking at it um, yeah, from a different point of view. We spoke about Joshua Shelley and how how well he's going at this point. I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to go another uh, shepherd and lad. We'll put it that way. Will Brody mm. might not have you might not have seen this. Uh, it was the the game that got put up against uh, the Richmond Western Bulldogs game, Freo versus Giants. Right. Will Bro- Will Brody crossed from Gold Coast last year where he wasn't getting a game. Didn't get it. Didn't even look like getting a game for the Gold Coast Suns. And he has slotted into this Fremantle side with, like, looks like seamlessly. Mm. 37 disposals, 18 kicks, 19 handballs, four marks, five tackles, six clearances, 474 metres gained. Another bloke from this this up this way, from Seymour, David Mundy, who just, seriously, I reckon I've got a bottle of wine to my right here that's getting, is looking probably just as good as what Mundy is at the moment. 30 disposals, 14, 16, the same marks, tackles, and clearances as Brody, 312 metres gained. Like, seriously, the bloke's got, the bloke could play until he's 100 at this point in time, Mundy. But Brody, I think, is probably, for mine, one of the best young youngsters coming through. And he's in a team where he's being allowed to do this. He's allowed to, he's being allowed to develop and he's got these players around him. Like in Mundy's like like Fife when he's available or when he's fit. But he's learning from them and he's being able to figure out what's going on. So I'm gonna go with Will Brody, mate. Yeah, fair call. I just realized I forgot to mention what my other major highlight was. It's Richmond. Major question marks after the first three rounds. Uh, is the dynasty done? Tigers too old, too slow, not good enough. And they went around and they smacked the dogs. They absolutely crushed them. They sent them to the dog pound. They sent them into the dog <laughs> Bad boy for peeing on the rug. And they sent him outside. Unbelievable effort from Richmond. And it was a good mixture of old experience and young ex- and young inexperience, but enthusiasm. I think the Tigers perhaps we were a bit quick to judge them. Um, but an unbelievable effort, nevertheless, and great well, moment, Jack Rewald and that and that umpire after the three-quarter time siren. I've still got the jury out on those on, on Richmond at the moment, though. Fair enough. Now let's get on to the major talking point. There is one team that I think the jury is out on. The lid at Carlton has had to be firmly put back on. It blew off after the first three rounds. And I wonder did they find how- it, did they? <laughs> Well, I'm not they sure. Found it to put it back in. <laughs> well, you see, opposition supporters, opposition supporters, the lid was never off to begin with. Um, and I want to ask you, MVD, which Carlton is the real Carlton this year? Was it from the first two and a half games or the one from the last one and a half games where they almost choked away a massive lead against Hawthorne and then got smacked by the Suns? Somewhere in between. Can I go there? <laughs> I'm just going to have split to see me backside. Um, I. I was very um, bullish on whether or not Carlton were going to make finals this year at the start mm-hmm. of the season. Um, I I don't know if I, I must I don't know if I told you or if I told someone I've been speaking about it back here, especially with some Carlton supporters at work, and I've been saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
every time you seem to change coaches, you go backwards before you go forwards. Like they're gonna their development for mine having a new coach yet again this year. Do you mean? I think. Wait, sorry. Do you mean that they always go forward before going backwards? No, they're gonna they're gonna like they're gonna have more heartache before they get to the, the result that they want. Okay. Because you look, I, I think, I honestly think Teague had them going in the right direction. And then they've, they've cut Teague from, like, cut his legs out from under him. And they're, then they've brought in Voss. Now, I, I don't know, like, yes, Voss has coached before. He knows what he's doing. He's got a bit more of an idea. Is this, this first couple of weeks, has this been a rebound from what happened last year? Quite possibly. Now that you're starting to see a few injuries come in, what's going to happen there with the, with like their 26, 27, 28th sort of players. Um, I, I honestly, I still think I'm going to be, I'll be honest right now. I am going to be surprised if Carlton make the finals this year. I know they want to, and I know everyone's gunning for it. It'd be great for the competition and all that. If they make the finals, I'll be very surprised. And I'm happy to have egg on my face if that is the case. I don't have a problem with it, but I think they're going to miss finals probably this year, potentially next year, depending on how they go with recruitment. But they might, or they might make the bottom half, but I don't see them winning a flag for another four or five years. So does, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think there's somewhere in between what they've done in the first two and a half weeks to, and what they've done since then. I think somewhere in between that is where is their, their middle ground. Uh, yeah, uh, I just don't... Maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic, but I don't see them making finals this year and see, we'll see what happens after that. I think that's a fair point to make. I do think that Carlton, and I think we were all a bit guilty of this, um, overreacting to their to their good start. And it was a good start, but let's be real yeah. who they played. They played a Richmond dynasty that the jury is still out on. Well, I, my jury is. You've called them that they're back. Well, no, I'm sorry. I, I said I said that they might be back. I said that they might be back. I said we might have gone too early on calling that dynasty over. But the jury is still out on them, right? Richmond this year at their best are still very good, but at their worst they're terrible, right? And Carlton taught, caught them on a night when they were terrible. Good win against the Dogs, but let's not forget that the Dogs did, did kick like their last six scores were behinds in that game. They kick half of those goals, Dogs win. And they almost had a, they had a massive head start against Hawthorne, almost ended up losing to a team who the next week lost by 70 points. And then they got crushed by the Gold Coast Suns. And no disrespect to the Gold Coast, but that was the game that Carlton should have won. Yep. Now, they have never beaten Gold Coast up there. Haven't they? Nope. Huh. I stand to be corrected, but I am pretty confident I heard that uh, Carlton have never beaten the Gold Coast up there. I think you might be right about that. I was about to say, what about their first ever game? But that was at the Gabba. Because Metricon wasn't ready yet with the um, redevelopments. I was like, no, think, think, think you're right. think you might be right. If I knew that, I would have gone with the Gold Coast Suns. I would have, done, I would have too, but I didn't know that until after the weekend. Uh, oh, there you go. Um, no, I agree with you. I think... Carlton this year will have some great wins and they will have some shambolic losses. I think at best they can hope for is, uh, I think their range is probably seventh, 
to 12th, anywhere in that middle six bracket. And if they do make finals football, I think they'll get crushed in the first week. Because I think the gap between them and the top six teams in the competition is just so wide. Yeah. Now, on to, uh, we talked about South Australia. It was a mixed bag for South Australian football. But one state that had a very good weekend for football was Western Australia. West Coast playing the uh, playing their, the, uh, the Peel Thunder squad <laughs> had an yes. inspirational victory against Collingwood, led by some of their old hands in Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling. Um, and some of the young players, some of the waffle players, it was it was an unbelievable effort, um, especially away from home. Hostile crowd, as it always is, playing Collingwood. Um, and it was a phenomenal win. And then I tipped the Dockers to lose because heading into that game, I thought, I don't trust them against teams that I think are going to challenge for the eight. Who have they really beaten? You know, they beat the Crows by a point. Whoop-de-doo. And I know we only beat Adelaide by four. <laughs> but still, they only beat... <laughs> they only beat Adelaide by a point. They they beat the Peel Thunder Eagles, like big deal. And then they come out and they crush the Giants. And I know everyone's talking about the forty-two to sixteen free kick count, but honestly, similar to the Geelong Brisbane game, I think the free kick count is a little bit. It doesn't matter because the Dockers missed so many shot on goals and they still won comfortably. I was going to say twenty-three shots to uh, fourteen. Like, like they won by thirty points. They should have won by about fifty. Correct. Correct. Yeah. If I'm being honest, uh, I'm saying Fremantle are probably more likely to play finals than West Coast. Mm. But that, but that being said, the next question is: Do they win a final if they if they make it? That is a good ah. question that we will find out in September. But <laughs> I, I think Fremantle are the most likely out of the two WA sides to make finals this year. I was going to say, so you're calling. It's so confident on Fremantle making finals football this year that you're saying that we will find out the answer to the question whether or not they're good enough to win a final come September. Correct. Right. Fair call. Fair call. Look, my major my major problem with Fremantle is that I still don't trust them on the road. Yeah. I, I get that. In in Perth, they are going to be borderline unstoppable Unbeatable. this yep. year. But away from home. And it's the same problem with West Coast last weekend aside. It's like the Western Australian team, they, they, they have the phobia of flying. I, I, think, I think West Coast are still recovering from last week, uh, last week, last year, yeah. in the fact that they, they openly said they didn't like being in a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you openly say that? I have no idea. Um, but at the same time, COVID's absolutely ran through that side like no one's business. And <sighs> trying to... What was it? I saw a stat that one the the most consistent player that had played the most amount of games consecutively before last weekend, I think the number was six. Wow! Like back to back games, and that that's like obviously there's going to have to be something chopping and changing and all that. But my gosh, the only good thing I suppose is if they've all got it, if they've all had it now, they're probably not going to likely get it towards the back end of the season. So. It could, it could quite possibly make finals. I still Fremantle, think Fremantle... I was about to say, Fremantle are the only team yet to have an outbreak, I think, in the competition. I, I think Fremantle are more like... At this stage, at this stage, on the 13th of April, 2022... At 9pm. I was going to say the time, but I didn't know if you wanted to do that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, at the, Fremantle are the more likely side to play finals in West Coast. 
Look, I, I, I do agree with that. The um, the thing for West Coast that will inhibit them now that they're getting players back from COVID is injuries. Nick Natnui, the latest um, to catch a horrible injury and hopefully back sooner rather than later, but it won't be for a while. Um, Fremantle's injury list, touch wood, hopefully not commentator's curse, but it looks pretty good so far. I mean, really, except for Fife, there's no players missing from their best 22 so it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good injury list, and they're playing very good football, and it's making me very nervous for Sunday. Now, before we get on to the football tips, though, there are a few more talking points to discuss. Now, I want to ask you, the Bulldogs did not have them starting the year one and three. It was a great win against the Swans, despite kicking 9-19. But once again, they struggled majorly in front of goals, and it's ended up costing them against Carlton in round two, and it ended up costing them against the Tigers somewhat as well. I want to ask you, MVD, are there other problems that the Dogs should be worried about? Or is it just as simple as fix the goal kicking and they'll be right? Have they stopped that leaking boat? <laughs> That's a good question. That's it. I, I don't, don't know if I can answer that question. <laughs> Have we got anyone that we could ask on the inside? Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I... I don't know. I, I haven't actually watched them that closely this year, to be perfectly honest. Um, obviously, if they're going to fix, they've they've got to they've got to fix goal kicking. That's that's rule number one. Like seven nineteen, like that. They've had two more. Well, no, more than that. Was that twenty six scoring shots to twenty four, and they've lost by thirty eight. They've had two more scoring shots and they've lost by thirty eight points. Kick straight. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. Now, I want I, I know I know you want to talk about kicking around the corner, and we'll get to that in a second. I just want to throw some stats at you. The dogs are doing pretty well. They're doing okay for most stats. Third highest in the comp and total disposals, top eight for total marks, top six for total clearances, top eight for inside 50s. And yet, key stats here, they are bottom eight for total tackles, which means they're putting borderline no pressure on the Are, you, are you saying they're soft? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, right? Good teams, no matter Custom how McLeod, many... ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Look, let's just say I, I, I wouldn't want to repeat this stat if I was talking to any of the Bulldogs players face-to-face. But Dogs, bottom eight for total tackles, bottom three for total goals kicked this year. For goal accuracy, they are the second worst in the competition, going Who's at worse? 40% on average. Who's worse? Uh, I think it's North Melbourne. Okay. Now... This is the thing that would really concern me. It's the fact that it's not just their forward line that's struggling, but big forwards down the other end are carving them up to pieces. Lynch and Reebok six between them. Kerno and Mackay in uh, round two had nine between them. Brown in round one had four. If they can't contain their opposition big forwards and their big forwards can't get goals, they, I, I seriously, if they don't fix those two problems, and I 100% mean this, they will struggle to make finals football. I 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. The fact that Alex Keith is out is not a very helpful scenario with that. Um, Keithy being out probably with a few for a few weeks from what I'm hearing mm-hmm. um, isn't good. Um, so they've got to try and refine that pillar. Tim O'Brien did it a little bit, I think, on the weekend, but not as good, obviously. Um yeah, I agree with you. They need they need to fix the back line up quite uh, quickly. But I think 
I think the easiest thing at this point in time to do would be kicking for goal, wouldn't it? Isn't it easy to kick a goal? Well, I'll let you get on with this one, MVD, because you were quite excited to talk about this. Take it away, MVD. It's your topic, mate. Well, okay. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot more players this year turning their back or turning their side to goal and kicking around the corner, like check sides, bananas, what, are they, uh, what do they call it over in South Australia? I don't know. Whatever they call I mean, it. Doing, doing the Stevie J as it should be called. Yeah, do, doing, the, yeah doing the Stevie J, the Eddie Betts, um, dribble kicks. Like, they're, they're kicking around the corner a lot. And it got me thinking and going back to old footage of uh, some games. And I had a look. And you remember the international rules? Yes. You remember when we played Ireland all those times with a round ball? Yes. How do they kick for goal or kick for overs? I'm guessing it's around the corner. They go around the corner and they kick around the corner and try and put the ball over the like over the the, the bar to get an over. That's what they call it in international rules. It's three points. It's an over. That's the signal. They put the the goal umpire puts his hand over his head. It's an over. They get three points for it. Right. Are we are we seeing? And I know we've seen an influx of Irish players come into the into the um, into the competition, but are we seeing the implementation of Gaelic football tactics coming into the AFL? I have not heard this talked about on one mm. radio show or one football show anywhere. It's a lot more. It's happening a lot more. To the, I'm not saying to the detriment of the sport, but at the same time, it's it's fascinating how they're all trying to do this, and yet we're seeing more and more. Irish footballers coming over and play football from the Gaelic setup. Interesting, interesting. So you're blaming uh, I'm, not bl- I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming. I'm just saying it's coincidental and how, how coincidences are, don't necessarily what is it, rule number three or something from NCIS? Um, <laughs> don't believe in coincidences, but it, it's just for me, it's just fascinating that everyone seems to be turning around the corner. Forwards who are paid to kick a drop punt. I feel like I'm Jason Dunstall. Kick a drop punt. Um, but You're seriously. It's going, going to be the new dribble file, the around the corner file. But it, it's like, it's. Is it? Does it add anything to the spectacle? I tell you what it does do. It kills coaches. And you see some players like Joe Danaher, right? He's having a great start to the year. But literally every single time he lines up, it's like he's almost forgotten how to kick a drop punt. Which brings, which is why I've had a, which is why I thought, is it the Irish tactics coming in and when they play the, the Gaelic football side of things, they mess around with the round ball a lot. I, I don't know. And I, I hope someone hears this and picks it up on, on some other radio station this weekend to see if we can find out if that's what's going on. Maybe Send it to, send it to your contacts, mate. Come on. Maybe, maybe, hey, look, maybe some AFL players want to try out playing for County Clare and County Cork. Who knows? Go for it. I don't have a problem with it, but is that is there a correlation there or am I just, I don't know, am I making I it think, up? I think it's far more likely that there's a Stevie J effect especially now that he's you know, played at a couple of clubs. He's been the assistant coach at a couple of different clubs. I think there's a lot of young players who've been coached by CBJ, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's had a little bit of a, a, little bit of a couple of cheeky um, snaps on goals at training 
And maybe, just maybe, hypothetically, of course, I'm not saying that this certainly happened, but wouldn't be surprised if uh, he taught players how to kick like that for goals. I'm well, just saying. I'm well, just saying. We, need to, we, need to get, we need to get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. It's annoying me. I'll be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, Joe Danaher, I know that this was back in round one and we're now up to round five, but please don't ever handball the ball when you are five metres out in front of the goal and you've just taken one of the marks of the year. Please. Kick a drop, punt. Please. I know, I know you were trying to do the team thing, get a young player, one of his first goals in his career, but goodness gracious me. Now, on to the final major talking point from this weekend. The Paddy Ryder suspension has been upheld. He will miss round five and round six, the match against Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney. Now, given how the match review panel adjudicated the Tim English bump, which they said was, uh, wasn't unreasonable. I want to ask you, in your opinion, was Paddy Ryder unlucky? Part of me turns around and goes, you chose to bump, bad luck. The other part of me reads Mitch Robinson's tweet from uh, two days ago and says, I've just typed five different tweets about the Ryder receiving a two-match ban. Unfortunately, they would all result in a fine. So that tells me that the footballers aren't very happy with it. Mm. And did he actually choose to bump or was he bracing himself? That's a tricky thing. That's a tricky thing. Was he bracing himself? Did he choose to bump? Did he choose to brace himself by choosing to bump? Um, It's tricky because it's like, on the one hand, they got a concussion from that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we know and again, we know the AFL tribunal, right, always, always goes off of the result more so than the action, right? The yep. Yep. Nick Blakely did not get a concussion. And therefore, I think that's why Tim English did not get so if if Blakely had gotten a concussion from that Tim English bump, then I reckon English would have had a, a case to to answer for. But because Blakely was fine, a little bit rattled, but okay. That's why Tim English was free to play. If they didn't get suspended, uh, didn't get concussion, sorry, then Paddy Ryder would still be playing on the weekend. 100% agree with that. Now, the players aren't happy. I know that the fans aren't happy. And I know that there are football um, experts in the media who aren't happy. I think it's a bit of a tough call. I think two weeks is a bit rough. Um, I think one week, given that he did get a concussion, would have been more acceptable. But the fact that it's two weeks for an action that, you know, if, if he didn't brace, he could have possibly gotten a concussion, Paddy Ryder. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it was Campbell Brown who, um, who tweeted out, right, okay, players, do not brace for protection on the football field. It is now an illegal act. Um, yeah. All we want as fans is just consistency from the yep. match panel. That's all we want. We just want consistency. It's all um, we've ever wanted. Yeah. Anyways. What do we want? Consistency. <laughs> when do we want it? Now. Yesterday. Yeah, I was about to say. Two weeks ago. What do we want? Consistency. When did we want it? Five years ago. <laughs> now, on to what promises to be a monster Easter weekend. We've got Brisbane versus Collingwood at the Gabba on Easter Thursday. 
This game was supposed to be played Easter Thursday at the Gabba last year, and it got robbed from us, moved to Marvel, and it ended up being one of the games of the year. Zach Bailey, after being robbed of the opportunity to be the hero in round two by one of the worst misumpiring calls ever, was the hero in round three. And once again, Brisbane losing a narrow one to Geelong in Geelong, and then a week later following up with Easter Thursday against the Pies. And I think it's going to be a similar result, this time a little bit more comfortable. Collingwood, I think, have hit a little bit of a brick wall, just a little bit. And we've seen that they can maintain the rage for two quarters or three quarters. But Brisbane, you need to maintain it for four full quarters, especially when you're at the Gabba. So I think what's going to happen, it's going to be a really close game at three-quarter time. Collingwood might even be leading at three-quarter time. And then the last quarter, it'll be just like the Geelong game. The floodgates will open. Brisbane will win comfortably by 29 points. The Gabatois is well and truly back. Yeah, I think Brisbane will want to bounce back from last week. They will have been very disappointed with how yeah, last week finished up. Uh, I reckon they will win this. I'm only going by 11 points, but I reckon they'll win this pretty comfortably. Hopefully nobody pushes Harris Andrews in the back and then doesn't get a free kick paid against them. Uh, we didn't even talk about that, thank goodness. <laughs> On to Friday, Good Friday football. North Melbourne will be hoping for a much better performance this time around compared to last year, 127 points last year. Now it's Good Friday football at Marble Stadium. Same teams, MVG, will it be the same result? Uh, not by the same margin, but yes, it will be the same result. I think the Dogs will get there in the end. Uh, I just... I think they're coming up. I think it's a good time to come up against North Melbourne. I know we praise North Melbourne for how they bounced back last week, um, but I think Western I've, Western Bulldogs should still have too much class for North Melbourne. Mm. Should agreed, agreed. And uh, losing to North Melbourne in 2022 is not something that they want uh, on the uh, highlights package. Come the end of the season, the dogs, I'm tipping the dogs by about seven goals. I think it'll be pretty comfortable. Now, I thought that this next game was originally at the SCG and I comfortably penciled in a Swans victory. It is not at the SCG. It is at Optus Stadium. The West Coast uh, Redeemers, the West Coast Seconds, up against the Sydney Swans at Optus Stadium. They're predicting about 35,000, I think, for this game, which would be a pretty good turnout in WA. I want to ask you, MVG, can the Swans... Oh, it's my turn, sorry. I'm tipping the Swans by 15 points. I think it's going to be a good game of football. Both teams have their Ruckman injured. Hickey probably still not going to be playing, and Nat Nui out for a long time. So it's going to be interesting, that midfield battle. Interesting to see which players Eagles get back, which players the Eagles will have going out. It's like a carousel at the moment. Sorry, I'll come back to a tip. Sydney should win this, shouldn't they? Yeah. Comfortably? Like, sure. I don't know about comfortably. I don't know about comfortably. The Swans, especially in Perth, the Swans and Eagles play close games against each other. If it was in Sydney, if it was in Sydney, I would tip the Swans by about eight goals. Yeah, true. Fair enough. I, I just I just can't see West Coast winning. Fair point, fair point. Now, on to what could be the most intriguing game of the weekend, the first on Easter Saturday. Early afternoon time slot at Marvel Stadium. It is St. Kilda versus Gold Coast MVD. The Saints have won their last, if I just do this quickly in my head, the last, the last, I think, four or five games against the Suns by all less than, I think, like 10 points. Most of them by like a goal or less. 
the Suns, they've always pushed the Saints and they just haven't been able to never win. And I want to ask you, can the Suns do it this time? They defeated Carlton, undefeated Carlton, and they're up against the Red Hot Saints. Can the Suns do it? Uh, no. <laughs> it's at Marvel. If it was at... Um, uh, at the Metricon, thank you. I was going to say Carrara, which is probably true too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have said probably yes, but I think the way St Kilda dismantled Hawthorne, yeah, they won't have their coach there this week, but uh, Brad Hill kept playing up forward. Don't know, he's found a new lease of life up there at the moment, so I'm going with uh, St Kilda pretty comfortably. Fair point. I am going with the upset here. The Suns play the Saints really, really, really well, and it doesn't matter where that game is played, whether it's in North Queensland, Southeast Queensland, or in Melbourne, the Suns and Saints almost always play a really close game against each other. And I just reckon it is a perfect time for the Saints to be brought down a peg or two. They'll be coming in off the, on their high horse. And I think the Suns are going to just bring them down to earth just a little bit. It's going to be a good game, though. Tipping the Suns by seven points. Would it be surprised if the Saints win it? Adelaide Oval, uh, mid-Saturday afternoon. It's the 2017 Grand Final rematch. Sorry, pro supporters, to bring that up. Adelaide versus Richmond. Um, think this one's Which way are you going cool. if you win the toss? Not against the wind, Trent Conchin, like in the 2014 elimination final. Oh, um, Definitely so don't. Do you, Adelaide, Adelaide a sneaky chance here. Adelaide, look, I think Adelaide are a sneaky chance. But I think Richmond, if Richmond, I don't know, it depends, right? We've had bad Richmond, good Richmond, bad Richmond, good Richmond. They're, they're a chance, right? Bad Richmond's due. I think I'm tipping. I think I'm tipping Richmond at this stage, but I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if Adelaide bring this one home. I mean, what? I know we don't like looking at betting, but a dollar seventy for Richmond, two sixteen for Adelaide. That's a lot shorter than I would have thought a couple of years ago. The crowds are on the improve. Richmond, I think, are still an unknown quantity. Josh Rochelle to kick five. I'll do what you want better. Josh Rochelle to kick six. Oh right, then. There you go. <laughs> Josh Rochelle kicks five or more. I reckon Adelaide win. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, no, I think it's going to be good. Look, Dylan Grimes, learn the mistake that your young Trent Conchin made at the Adelaide Oval 2014 elimination final, kicked against the wind in their first quarter, and Port kicked the first eight goals of the game. Game over. Yep. So just make sure you don't make that mistake and you'll be fine. Um, if Nate the Tank goes in there, same thing to you. Absolutely. Now, on to Melbourne versus GWS at the MCG. The Giants, one of, I'm just trying to think, one of only two teams to actually beat the Demons at the MCG last year, the other one being the Western Bulldogs. It was an amazing game where they just basically suffocated one of the highest scoring teams of last year, restricted them to just seven goals. But will that happen this time around? MVD, can the Giants do it again? Nope. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Move on. Melbourne win this one pretty comfortably. Yeah, Melbourne. Right. The, the Ferrari stalling. A little bit. Absolutely. Melbourne by five goals. I think it's, a far more interesting game. This is not at Albert Park, I'll be honest. So the Ferrari stalling. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, hopefully hopefully the, uh, the F1 was far more interesting than the footy was on Sunday. Now, on to Sunday, Carlton versus Port Adelaide at the MCG. This one is intriguing. A wounded Carlton versus the battered Port Adelaide. I'm tipping the Blues by 18 points. I could very well see Port Adelaide winning this. 
The only reason why not to be important to win this is because they are totally bereft of confidence. And it doesn't take long. I know Carlton had a horrible second half fade out against Hawthorne, bad loss against Gold Coast, but it doesn't take much for a team that recently had great form to rediscover it. And I think if this was at the Adelaide Oval, I would be tempted to tip Port Adelaide, not by the 95 points that they won late last year against Carlton at the Adelaide Oval, but I think it's going to be a good game of football. I would be surprised if either team kicked 19 goals in a row, though. I agreed. I'm, uh, who did I tip? I think I've tipped Carlton just purely because it's at the G. Um, kind of with you in that run. I reckon uh, Port Adelaide 0-4. 0-5 doesn't sound great, does it? It does so, not. Surely that they get they get back and show some sort of competitiveness. Um, they definitely won't be wearing the prison bar jumper, that's for sure. Um, I'm, yeah, Carlton, but not with a lot of confidence. Yeah, fair point, fair point. And if they do win it, dear listener, hide from your Carlton fans because they'll be asking you for money to buy grand final tickets once again. Now, this game I am super nervous for. <laughs> It is Essendon versus Fremantle at Marvel Stadium. The Dockers have only ever beaten the Bombers at Marvel once. And that was back in 2010, a season where Fremantle made finals and the Bombers finished third last on the ladder. The last four times they've played each other at Marvel Stadium, it's been really, really tight, really, really, really ugly football for most of it, and not decided until extremely late. And I want to ask you, MVD. Can the Dockers finally prove their home form is also good on the road form? I think they can. Sorry. I, I know you don't want me to say it. I know you sent me that, you gave me the piece of paper before and said, no, you've got to say Eston's going to win this one. But <laughs> You get an F for that answer. Yeah, exactly. But an F for Fremantle because I think that they could possibly do it because um, it's going to it's going to be a really good game and hopefully... It'll be a, there'll be a really good crowd there at Twilight on, on Easter Sunday because I think it deserves it. You know, I say that. I think this game deserves it. Fremantle three and one. And and at this stage, low level flying. I mean, third on the ladder. I wouldn't have thought that. Essendon, no stringer again. Uh, he's he seems to be your barometer at the moment. And what's going on with McDonald, Tip, and Woody? Why isn't he playing? Well, hopefully he'll be back soon. But I'm kind of glad that he's getting some practice in the VFL before coming back into the AFL. Um, so you're going to go Essendon? I am going to go with Essendon. You're going for F for Fremantle. I'm going for a decently good grade. B for the Bombers. Uh, I think it's going to be a, uh, a good game. It's going to be exactly the same as the last three times that these two teams have played at Marvel Stadium. Low scoring. Would it be surprised if either team failed to crack 80 points it's going to be tight close all game you know uh nails will be bitten hair will turn white and buttholes will be clenched uh it's going to be a <laughs> nail biter i'm tipping the bombers by three points david Mundy to kick a goal after the siren to win it oh no please no he does that against the other team with the sash not yes, against see, the other. That, but <laughs> other team with the sash Right. Now, on to the Easter Monday Classic, MVD. It's your Hawks hosting Geelong at DMCG. The Cats won a thriller against you guys last year. I think it was by five points. You were at that game. Yeah, I did. 
And I'm going to this one too. Pretty good effort last year from the Young Hawks to match it with the team that eventually made it to the prelim finals. Can the Hawks pinch an upset? Hart says yes. Purely and simply because I, last week was an aberration and, and although it was as insipid as what it was, I'm sure there would have been a lot of talk over the week that says, right, let's put that one away and not review it or not come back to it because that is not how we want to play. Um, if we can play more like round one or round two, then there is definitely an upset on the cards here. Because I don't think Geelong are playing the best football at this point in time. You're saying that, and yet they, they, they beat Brisbane. Yeah, they did, but they've ma- they always match up well against Brisbane, and it was down at Cadinia Park. That's true. Where they play like the back of their hand. Like, they know it like the back of their head. Um, yes. Yeah, Jeremy uh, Jeremy Cameron's kicked, kicked a few goals. Yes, Tomahawk kicked a few goals. Uh, I don't dispute that they're good footballers. I mean... But at the same time, Sam Frost is uh, Sam Frost. No, yes, yeah, he's been he's been playing some good football. Um, I, I think this I think this is going to be a lot closer than what some people might think. Um, maybe I'm just a Hawthorne supporter talking, but uh, at the same time, I, I think we I, I'd like to see us put a better display than what we did on the weekend. That's for sure. Hawthorne and Long, no matter how well they are going, almost always play really good football against each other. It's rare where you see Geelong crashing Hawthorne or you see Hawthorne crashing Geelong. It's it's I can count on one hand the the times in the last six or seven years or so where one team, one of those teams actually belted the other one. And I don't think it's gonna happen this time around. I think it's going to be another Easter Monday classic. I do agree with each Long's playing probably just a little bit, a little bit above where I think they'll actually be this year. If that makes any sense whatsoever, um, Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that comment though. Hawthorne. Uh, yeah, I think Hawthorne will bounce back. Um, they have to after that. Uh, what did you say, shambolic? Insipid. After that insipid performance. Um, they got eviscerated by the Saints. <laughs> um, I think they'll bounce back. It'll be a great game of football. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to Isaac Smith's after the siren to miss. repeat of the 2016 qualifying final and he makes it or he misses. Oh, goodness gracious me. What, <laughs> what a result that would be. Um, now, NVD, I want to ask you, which game are you most looking forward to? Why? Which game do you think is going to be the biggest blowout potentially? Well, I'm looking forward to the Hawthorne-Geelong game because it'll be the first game that I'm going to for the year. So yeah. since uh, everything's going on, since last year. Um, blowout, potential blowout. The potential blowout, I think, is the Dogs meant North Melbourne. Yeah. Um, personally, I think that has the possibility of going one way or another. St Kilda Suns as well. I don't like saying that one because I want to see Stewie Jew succeed and, and do really well. But, um, yeah. You know, actually, actually, I'm going to not scratch that one, St Kilda's Sons. The Melbourne GWS game. Mm. That is my potential blowout. Which one? What about you? You're looking forward to Essendon and Freo, aren't you? 
Uh, yeah, sure I am. No, I, I think the game I'm most looking forward to, um, you mentioned the Saints and the Suns as a potential blur. I'm going with St. Kilda Gold Coast as a game I'm most looking forward to because they have, it's an underrated rivalry, right? Everyone in the middle of the 2000s talked about West Coast Sydney and yeah, sure, because of those finals that they played. But the Saints and the Suns are on such an unbelievable winning streak, um, streak against each other where, you know, four or five games in a row, a real coin toss, you know, ball bounces a different way player, you know, takes a mark here instead of dropping it, could be a completely different result. And I think it's going to be a thriller on Saturday afternoon. I actually mentioned that last year. I think I said it to my mate who is a security supporter. I said, you guys, are going to, you guys are going to have games throughout the next few years that are going to be absolute humdingers. I said that when the both Kings were playing and they were both playing really well. There's only one King playing this year. Um, so that that's what gave me a little bit of unsure but when you mentioned that yeah that's a game to look forward to yeah keep an eye on it it's gonna it'll be a close one potential blowout now i know i talked earlier about me thinking that brisbane is gonna uh keep in close with collingwood and then kick a few goals late to extend the margin but i'm just remembering what brisbane did to collingwood at the gabba last year 85 point margin that game i don't think it will be quite that but i wouldn't be surprised if brisbane looked at this game as a potential opportunity for a little bit of a percentage boost. And they wouldn't be saying that to themselves because teams that normally do that end up losing their games. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions won by 50 points. Or it could be North Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs as well. MVD, thank you for joining me. It was a fun episode. Always a pleasure to have you on, mate. Good luck for Easter Monday. Hopefully it's a good crowd. And hopefully, um, what am I talking about? Hopefully it's a good result for the Hawks. Hopefully it's a good game. <laughs> hopefully not it a good is a good game. Well, hopefully it's a good game and hopefully we'll see what happens and go Fremantle. <laughs> fair enough, mate. Right? No, fair enough, Touche. You played that well. Dear listener, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. That would be it for the AFLW coverage, probably until the lead up into next season, whenever that season ends up being. But don't go anywhere because there's plenty of AFL men's action still going on. Next weekend is the Anzac uh, Day round. And so we'll be there to preview that, review the Easter round. Until then, farewell to the 